welcome to Fintech Insider Insights, brought to you by 11FS. My name is Simon Taylor, and I'm joined by, well, my 11FS co-founders, colleagues, and many more. I've got uh, the one and only David Breer. Hello. Hello. How's it going? Mr. Jason Bates, how are you, sir? Hello, I'm very well. Uh, so, today's our second birthday. We're actually two years old, which has gone by just ridiculously quickly. And if that isn't a big enough landmark, this is also as if we planned it. Lucky you, Ollie and Laura. The 200th episode of Fintech Insider. So to celebrate, we're doing something, well, we're doing something a little bit different. Uh, we talk to you every week about the fintech news, but we don't talk a lot about what we do day to day, the banks we're working with, the propositions we're building, and more importantly, what we've learned in the process. As you know from the podcast, uh, you know us from the podcast even, but and you know that I read show notes quite quickly from the podcast, <laughs> but our clients know us for other things. So we wanted to take a bit of a look back, pull out some of the key lessons we've learned helping banks, building societies, insurers, asset managers in creating fintech inside of a big bank. And it's been a crazy couple of years. We started off with a team of five and now we're over 80 people. Can you believe that? Um, and so we have to bring in some special guests from the broader team to talk about what we've been up to. So... From 11FS Pulse and Research, we have uh, 11FS co-founder, the one and only Ross Methen. Ross, how are you? Hi, good, Simon. And Ross Gurr, Ross Gurr, who's our principal com- consultant and host of FinTech Insider. Ross Gurr. Two Rosses. We really shouldn't have made you sit next to you, though. So it's just going to be very I, complicated. Ollie, Ollie will be able to vouch for me. I did try and resist. Does anybody know the story of how it became Ross Gurr? Because it was a way that Pet had to differentiate between Boss Ross and Ross Gurr. That's it. So it's all Petrit, the assistant producer. So actually, fault. I guess if we're if we're sort of talking about us and we can probably throw in a couple of like inside secrets pet has a spreadsheet of nicknames for everyone in the office <laughs> wow so he has pet names for everybody he has pet oh, names hey. but, but surely surely if if ross Gurr was ross Gurr, like only one of you had to have a nickname right so like if you're boss ross you didn't need to be ross Gurr. i think that was optional right that's a question for petro right there i think yeah check the spreadsheet <laughs> consult the spreadsheet and speaking of consulting our head of consulting jeff tyson Hi, sir. Hi, it's good to have you with us. Properly a part of the team now. You've got the FinTech Insider t-shirts going on. All swagged up. Swagged up, living that swag life. Uh, From the media team, usually sort of behind the mic, but more and more in front of the camera, uh, we have head of media, Ollie. I am here for the (laughs) first time ever on our show. You are here with full stops between each sentence. I like it between each word even. And head of content, Laura Watkins, how are you? Hi, good, thanks. And by no means least, but last is our HR and talents, very own Sophie Thiem. Sophie, thank you so much for being with us. Good to have you. Good to have me. Good to have everyone. <laughs> good, good, good to have people. I mean, yes. You're bringing in the people. You got to stay in team. That was so HR. Knowing me and knowing you, it got all got a bit Alan Partridge there for a second. <laughs> I vouch for this message. <laughs> <laughs> Said the guy from Norwich. All right. Uh, so welcome to the show, everyone. Some familiar voices and some brand new. But let's get kicked off. David, happy birthday. Two years old. How are you feeling? tired like it's it's like two years but it feels like 10 i'll be honest with you like i just can't i cannot believe how much we've achieved in such a short period of time you know the amount of people that have come in the projects that we've delivered it's yeah it's kind of scary really but um yeah, I'm probably going to get a bit teary, I'm sure, at some point during the, the course of this thing. I can feel the Yeah, the emotion coming out. It's going to happen, for I sure. I saw how emotional you got about the 11FS cupcakes earlier. Oh, and yeah. Like, like, it's never too early for cupcakes, is it? Let's be honest. So, Jay, tell me, like, how has... You know, talk, talk about the original thesis. What were your expectations a year ago, and where do you think we're at, kind mm. of, against delivering against what we set out to do? And what was it we, we set out to do? 
Well, I think when we when we all got together in that Starbucks coffee shop a long time ago, you know, there's always a thing about timing, and it was the right timing for the group of us to get together. And I think, well, as you know, our original thesis was that there was a gap in the market that we were seeing challenger banks, challenger fintechs, but not really seeing challenger consultancies. And when we looked out, and hey, I I've got my uh, Accenture hat from a you know. 10, 20 years ago, um, when you look back at those big consultancies and what they were doing, it was perfect for that era. You know, they were building very big projects over long periods of time with hundreds, if not thousands of people, because you had to spend a crazy amount of money to launch any kind of new proposition. You had to actually build data centers at one point. So when you're spending tens of millions of pounds, hundreds of millions of pounds on something, you need a, a big strategy house to tell you it's the right thing to do. You need a big systems integrator to make it all work. You need Indian outsourcers, you need uh, marketing agencies, insights firms, design groups, and it just becomes this amazing thing. Um, but we kn- we all knew, I think, when we got together two years ago, that that wasn't what you do now. Fintechs with 10 or 11 people are now creating banks. And to contrast that against some of the things that require 1.6 billion Williams and Glynn's case just showed us that there was a real gap if they could accept us doing things in a slightly different way with a small, highly talented team in order just to deliver something. Very special forces versus conventional army. It's a bit interesting, isn't it? Because it's it's not just, a, I guess, a change in the way you do it, but it's a resetting of people's expectations. I think there was there's almost become an apathy that it, everybody expects it to take a billion pounds to maintain a digital transformation program, which it just doesn't make sense when, you know, we talk about small sports stuff. You know, digital fundamentally is that small team sport now. And exactly like you say, what you can achieve with a few people really, really highly motivated, uh, you know, very, very highly skilled is just beyond what you can do with a small an team army. sport that might have 11 people on the sport, for instance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've never really figured that football metaphor for for eleven FS, but maybe that maybe that's the the kind of origin story we'll start telling people. Yeah, next no, time. that's a good one. Let's go with that. Yeah, one. nice. It's, it's, like it. It's better than a Google Doc. And I think when you look back at the the people who we've now brought into the organisation, or the people that we'd worked with previously in startups, there was something about that highly talented. Uh, experienced people who execute, who do with autonomy in order to make stuff happen that can be a like a 10 times multiplier to what you can do in a large organization. But I, I think the thing there, though, is that I just un- unfortunately, I think, you know, the, the digital transformation space is just rife with bullshit, quite frankly. And I think this is the thing is like we've seen just the the amount of um, like buzzwords that come and go, the magic beans that are being sold by people to some AI on that. Indeed. Give me give me some blockchain and give me some AI and maybe like, uh, you know, some chat sort of whizzy, yeah, chatbot, chatbot on it. That would be great. Banks. But it, it just sort of feels like actually the you know, we talk about deromanticizing those processes a lot. You know, how do we really get that cut through? Well, actually, it's by showing people that this stuff really isn't hard it's being made hard by people not by uh, not by the actual uh, monumental view of the task in terms of what it is just because actually there's the state that financial services is actually in given it's the you know since 08 that sort of turtle retracted into the shell then you know we've been sort of standing there with a bit of lettuce trying to coax it out and it's gone well so far i, I think that's kind of the key isn't it so i was speaking to a senior executive at a bank earlier today and they were sort of saying look the big banks in the uk now feel a bit like oh wait Everything since 2008, we're starting to come through that. What's the problem now? Well, we're not growing. 
So now we've got to focus on growth. So I think there's something about timing that's really interesting in that we had a different message to let's go through procurement and do things the traditional way and do everything the way you used to do it. Because doing what you used to do and expecting a different result is the definition of insanity. Doing it like you would with a startup, maybe that's a different approach. But it's not only in the UK. I mean, the last two years, I was counting up. I went to 20 countries last year doing various projects, consulting, talking with boards, all kinds of things. The thing that's most fascinated me is the consistent set of messages and questions. Uh, it makes you sound really smart when you've got this really elegant answer to something a senior executive uh, asks you. But luckily, you've been asked it 15 times already. So you're pretty well... Don't tell them that. <laughs> pretty well um, uh, prepared for it. But the... The big question, the big thing, is that people are doing digital as a veneer, doing digital in a nice little way. The, but the minute it hits the business or the operating model or the way you make money, it either slows or gets killed. And so that consistent question has been, well, digital's great and we can do the pilot, and we can do the conference room thing, and we can do this and that and the other. But whenever it hits the business, like, what should I tell the CEO or the board or how, what, how do I explain to the head of lending, I really need this thing to, uh, to work? It, it is amazing, right? The minute it's a challenge to somebody's P&L in an organization, then like, you know, the whole sort of um, spikes come out for people, don't they? Which is, is, it's an amazing thing to have seen a few times. The classic is that Kodak didn't understand the digital camera model model of high value cameras because they were used to uh, low value cameras with lots of film and actually we're seeing that now where the business model's changing it's not just the tech anymore and I think we've sort of lived that a little bit I mean if you look at what we were doing two years ago it wasn't building banks we are now but it was doing speaking gigs and it was running a podcast and the things that you do to bootstrap a business and the things that you do to get instant customer feedback and test product market fit as five people are very different to what you do with 80 people but I think we've walked the walk ourselves and now we're able to do it for our clients. All right, let's bring in some of our guests because we haven't done this alone. We've done this with the help of an amazing team sitting around us uh, and all around us. In fact, some of them are here recording and making this show happen every week. But let's start with Ross and Ross, the <laughs> Ross duo, Paulson Research. Ross, you've been working on a tool um, and we do cheap plugs for this every time. So cheap plug, 11FS Pulse is available now. Um, working on creating new digital propositions. What is it and, and why did you feel like you needed to build this thing. Yeah, a, f a few years back, um, David and I had been working uh, together. I think it was actually on a trip to Stockholm, perhaps in a bar uh, one evening. It was almost certainly a bar, yeah. Like, consistency, if nothing else, is my thing. So Indeed. Uh, you know, we were just bemoaning the fact that the about the state of um, competitor research, competitor benchmarking, just wasn't really fit for purpose anymore. And we kind of had this vision of a, a tool, you know, if you're building digital propositions, wouldn't it be handy if in one place you could actually see what the very best looked like? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's one of those things that, uh, you know, my experience being client side with, um, you know, banks and, and insurers really was that everybody just spent all of this money just reinventing the wheel or you paid an agency to go and learn a bunch of stuff that they should have known for you to be doing the work with them in the first place. So I kind of like I'm never for outsourcing intelligence. It never seems like a smart thing to do. So how do you really sort of embed that insight back in the business? And that's where we come up with the idea of Pulse. Well, even in startups, you know, with uh, creating Monzo and Starling, it's like how many current accounts did I have to apply for? My I actually took a hit on my credit record uh, because I was applying 
applying for all of these current accounts and financial products just to see what the interfaces were like. So it, it's just that That's good. it's just that common problem. Exactly. Yeah, and um, you know that's exactly what we've the problem that we've solved. Um, and you know a lot of our customers affectionately refer to to Pulse as uh, the Netflix for fintech, and you know that's really exactly what it is. You know you can log into the platform and on demand you can uh, very quickly be seeing journeys from some of the best financial services experiences all around the world. So surely this cost millions and took years to build. No, you know we 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 took our own medicine, we we built it quickly, small team, um you know a matter of uh, weeks if not maybe a couple, couple of months, but um where is it at now? Because it, it it was built quickly, but there's there's a there's a whole team of you guys now. How big is the research team now? Yeah, so there's about eight of us in the in the in the team. You know, we've been building out the the platform, and um, also been hoovering up lots of really interesting content all around the world. So I think in total we've got around about one and a half thousand journeys, coverage for two hundred brands, uh, forty countries. So uh, you know, every day we're adding more content. So that's that's actually videos of what it looks like to use a mobile app or Absolutely. a website. Someone without talking. ruining your credit score. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you, if you want to see, you know, a Bank of America customer paying a bill on their mobile phone, you can actually watch that happening. If you want to watch a, a Google Tez customer in India sending money using ultrasonic sound waves, you can see it. So, who are the customers? Who are the users for this? Like, what problems does it solve? Yeah. So, the the users are people that are building out um, digital propositions. So, it could be people in in large banks. It could be people working in fintech. So, anybody that's interested in developing fantastic winning customer journeys and experiences. Although I did threaten a, t- a digital team once that I would give their CEO free access because I figured that that would be the lever to make their life hell. <laughs> show, show them where the bar is for experiences. Yeah, yeah. indeed. Yeah, no, there are some um, CEOs using the tool and one or two of them may be using it to, to batter the head of design and UX over the head with. Um, but hey, well, I think, and actually the other way as well, I think we're having increasing conversations now with um, product owners, people who sit in digital teams and they want to use it as a tool to actually educate the senior executives about what can be done. Well, so my, my favorite sort of story about it was people using it to go to their risk department to go, look, we those guys have done this in our geography. Why can't we? So I think it's, you know, multiple use cases, which is cool. And what are you seeing across, you know, you've got over, what, 1,000, 1,200 journeys. Like, what are, are there any key themes that are, that are coming along? Yeah, there absolutely are. I think, you know, we've got um, a whole heap of sort of what are, I guess, innovative, and, and then, I guess, what are more sort of hygiene functionalities that we cover on the platform. It is interesting to watch the traffic in that space. So, I mean, you know, there's obviously hot topics. I think a huge amount of the traffic, probably 75-80%, goes towards onboarding, um, biometrics, bots, security. So, you know, key concerns for, for people that sit in digital teams within banks from design perspective. All, all things open banking, of course, a very hot topic as well. So as soon as anything hits the platform, you know, we can see our customers going straight and viewing those, those journeys straight away. Ross, girl, you've only been with us six months. How's the first six months been? Or have they been? They've been like frantic, but in such a good way. When, when people ask, you know, when people say like, oh, you know, you know, it's, it's, you guys are because there's a lot of interest around 11FS. This is the thing. You know, you speak to people at conferences, people in the industry. They're like, "You guys are super interesting. You guys are doing some really great stuff." And they always ask, "You know, how's it been?" It's what I always say is, "It's been it's been crazy, but crazy in a good way. We're doing awesome things, and we're having a lot of fun, right?" Crazy in a good way. So, Russ, what comes next, boss Russ? Well, lots of exciting things. Obviously, more and more content going into the the Pulse platform, whether it's open banking or onboarding, as as Ross Go was saying. Um, very excitingly, although we've had great success with the Pulse platform, we're actually about to switch it off and switch on Pulse 2.0, which is 
very, very exciting. Um, that's happening uh, later this month and we're going into customers' hands. Uh, and this week we have um, Home Screen, which is a new video series that we're launching, focusing on some of the, the cool stuff in Pulse. Oh, wow. More content coming your way soon, folks. And where can people find out more? As always, 11fspulse.com. Love it. All right, next, let's turn to our consulting arm. Jason, I'm going to ask you this question first. What does 11FS actually do? <laughs> <laughs> you mean... Just, uh, just podcasts. Right? Yeah, yeah. Surely, we're, no, no, no. We've done three ICOs <laughs> and sold to some Russian guys as well. We bought the Sun. Uh, there's all kinds I think of rumors. You're, I think you're just quoting the rumors on Twitter, and yes. it is quite amusing going out to a conference and people sidling up to you with, "So I've heard this rumor," uh, and there are some crazy ones out there. I think when we started two years ago, it was that if you can bring small, talented a team together, like what can we do for big banks? And I think we were pretty open with that hypothesis to go and actually talk to end customers about what they needed doing. I think the thing that came to my mind or the thing that evolved was this idea that there were lots of people doing that incremental change, digitizing what they'd done, building on their platform, driving costs out of the business, all the stuff you really need to do. But uh, there were lots digitizing, very few really doing truly digital stuff. And that's about that business model change as much as anything. Yeah. It, it's, it's not doing what we used to do with a bit of digital on it. It's doing something new from a business standpoint, maybe driving growth, maybe driving cost out, but it's that intelligent services. Exactly. That, that move for me, the, the, the key phrase... The, the, the shift that I think we're, we're doing work on and winning work on is this move from commodity products to intelligent services because that changes everything. You know, the ability now to use advanced technology and networks and supercomputers, you know, from the, well, the, you know, modern desktops and modern mobile phones uh, are effectively supercomputers in the 1990s. They're just crazy, crazy powerful devices. So the fact we're using these still to access statements or to make a payment, you know, is just out there. So rather than access to a commodity product, let me get my money, let me see how much is in there. Like, what are these services that are making our lives easier? You know, where's the rocket pack that I wanted in my, you know, in my teens? Uh, and that, that one shift then changes how you think about, well, what's the product? What's the thing we're delivering? That leads to all of our jobs to be done work and, and talking about real customer needs and what are the brutal realities of customers' lives and how do we deliver against those? But then it also moves into the, well, how do you build this stuff? How do you test it? How do you know that these new services that aren't really around are the right things to build? It's hard to say. Jeff, you've been with us about a month now? Is that right? About a month, yeah. Living the dream. Definitely doesn't feel like a month. <laughs> Feels like a lifetime, but a lifetime of love, I'm sure. Um, so, like, tell us, like, what kind of projects are we doing and what's the portfolio of projects we're going to be doing? And more importantly, how's that different from the consultancies of old? Like, you've some experience with that. Let me start with the last question. I think 11FS doesn't have a digital team or a digital practice. This is what we do. Every single person in the team has you know, either lots and lots of experience in this space or used to work for a startup. It's not as if we are a consulting business that happens to have a digital team that does a lot of the cool work. Now, this is the only type of work that we do. So we're very, very specific you know, as a consulting team and as a business in terms of the type of work that we want to do as an organization. Just to build on what, what Jason just said, the message that you know, Jason and David and others were talking about really seems to land with our clients. I have never seen so much interest, inbound interest from clients coming to us saying, we really, really want to work with you guys. And I think if you look at the, the portfolio that you know, we currently have and the, the pipeline that we have for the consulting business, um, there's a significant number of new bank bills in there, which is really, really exciting. 
And I think a couple of years ago, it wasn't really the case that, and these are big financial institutions. These are not necessarily you know, a bunch of guys who want to build a bank from scratch. These are big financial institutions who've basically said, "Yeah, we realize that the existing platform that we have is a bit shit. Yeah, we've we've underinvested in technology for the past 20, 30, 40 years. We can continue to fix small bits and pieces and yeah, invest tons and tons of money into our existing platform, but it's not going to allow us to do the things that we want to do. It's not going to allow us to do the things that we want to do today and definitely not in, in a couple of years from now. So we're just in the UK, right? No, <laughs> no. Oh, that was just an alley-oop question there. <laughs> no, I don't do that, Jason. I think, um, so what Jason said, he went to 20 countries last year. I'd be amazed if we don't end up going to 40 or 50 different countries this year. All right, well, that's a good point for us to cut away to the one and only Sam Moll. Um, we've got to involve our MD from the Americas. Um, he caught up with uh, me earlier this week, so let's hear from him now. I'm joined now by the one and only Sam Mole. How are you doing, Sam? Drinking coffee, so I'm happy. <laughs> it's our second birthday, and uh, a birthday party wouldn't be complete without checking in on you and your coffee drinking. Uh, you joined us in August. How's the first uh, six months been? It's been absolutely bonkers. I think that's the right word. Isn't that a song by Dizzy Rascal? Yeah, bonkers. Yeah. That should yeah, be my thing. Yeah. If we had music, that would be mine for uh, my intro. Um, I've, I've never had in my... 35-year career, I've never had six months like this. I've never seen growth this much. I've never seen a talent pool come together like this. I think bonkers is the right word. So how's that different to what you expected, and what was it that attracted you to 11FS in the first place? Well, my entire professional career has been with global companies, you know, Global Bank and Northern Trust, Global Card Processor and TSIS, and even on the consulting side, even though when I first joined them, they were relatively small and by relatively about 700 people. You know, it quickly grew into almost 400,000 globally with NTT. So I, I am only used to massive global companies. And jumping into a startup, in all honesty, I had no clue what it was going to be like. I didn't know how chaotic it was going to be. I knew, I were, I knew we were going to wear T-shirts and hoodies. It's about as far as it went. I wasn't ready for us to land the clients we landed. I wasn't ready for us to land the clients we landed without being asked to do an RFP. I wasn't ready for us to land clients the way we did by them walking into our office to see what the hell we were doing. And that just keeps happening. So that, that that's a little different. <laughs> I think that's a safe answer. Yeah, that's that is a little different, and I guess um, you know there's, there's obviously some massive differences between uh, you know the uh, the US and the UK and Europe. Um, you know, six months isn't long to have been getting a business off the ground. But like, what what have you been up to, and what's coming next? So really, the first thing is is making people understand what eleven FS is, and that it's not FS eleven, that it's not one one fs. I think actually somebody called it that one once. What's one one fs? And I went, I don't know either. It's literally raising brand awareness, I'd say for the first couple months. You know, who are we? Um, getting the podcast audience kind of helped built up, getting the the client base, if you will, to understand who we are and that we actually are real players. I think it's a you know it's a flip on what the three of you guys did when you were in Starbucks, right? Which was a spinning up um, quickly. It's like launching a rocket, right? You got to kind of spin it up first and get the gyros and everything ready to move. And so that was for the first couple of months, um, which has now quickly pivoted into actually the same thing. People reaching out to us to say, hey, we'd like to work with you. That's now happened for the two bank builds that we're talking about doing. Both of those came through the podcast. 
and organically. We didn't do any cold calling sales or anything like that. So two huge projects both came in through a LinkedIn invite of, hey, we like what you guys are doing. Can we talk? Love that. And I think that's that's a completely different way of doing things, like you say. So uh, if people are listening in the US and they do like the sound of your coffee drinking dulcet tones at this time of day, how do they get in touch with you, Sam? Um, obviously, email is one because we are the US and God, we love email. And it's incredibly complicated. It's Sam at 11fs.com because we, you know, we kept it simple. Um, and then, you know, Twitter is also a good channel. I would say uh, if you DM me on Twitter, that's not a bad way to go. And if LinkedIn is your preferred method, reach me there. Drive to Jacksonville. Um, follow me. And uh, if you follow me on Twitter, you'll know what city I'm in because I always announce it when I when I show up and would love to show up over a cup of coffee. I like coffee um, or I do. You, you really, really do love coffee, don't you? So it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. You and coffee. I think there's a meme coming. We need to make that happen. <laughs> Alrighty, Sam. Thanks for joining us on our 200th episode. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. Great to hear from Sam there. Our America's offering is definitely going from strength to strength, and, and Sam's leading the charge there. Stay tuned for some announcements. Uh, and if you're in San Francisco, go see Sam and Doug at our first international After Dark, afterdark.11fs.com, I believe, for tickets. Uh, all right. So let's move on. Uh, we can't do any of this without the people that we have and uh Sophie you've been instrumental to helping us build a team um and it's seems to be we've talked about small teams mm-hmm. uh small team sport a little bit and that seems to be like what we're differentiating on so what do those teams look like and how is that different to traditional projects I think it um, it pretty much goes back to what Jason, David and Jeff earlier said. There are a lot of consultancies out there that they built. They just happen to have a digital um, department and then people decided to join them because obviously it's the fancy, it's the most sexy thing around the world. Eventually, you come into a place where everyone's pretty much mediocre. They are a jack of all trades and that's what I always say. And what makes us really different is, yes, it's small team, but it's also highly efficient. No one person here actually only does one job. Nobody actually sits in here being very silo. It can only do one job. So I think the whole learning opportunities, the upskilling and bringing on people, which we've said before, people have done this before because we're not the kind of startup that has all the opportunities to give you and allow you to eventually learn to be that we kind of have to squeeze out as much as possible um, from each and every person because technically it's just good it's a win-win situation for both the employer and then the employee as well because it's perfect timing quick place for you to learn as much as you can absorb everything you can and then be a star in what you want to do i hope so and and what what do we look for in candidates because i guess you must have no idea how (laughs) many candidates you screen per week i don't know how you do it i mean david was saying thank god sophie's here yeah it's like somebody you cannot imagine what we did before you joined like genuinely it's bizarre and it's so much more right now just like what we're saying jason traveled to 20 countries in last year alone that that technically tells you as the word gets out i think previously before me you guys are probably what looking at 100 candidates um or a day or so we currently have at least 500 and every other effort that we put into engagement employer branding as the word gets out we're going to events we're talking to people not just clients Think about the the people that are actually working in your client company. 
that they've decided that they maybe want to come and jump ship and join join us as well. So the candidates, the inbound that we have is remarkable over the last three months alone. But I think there's also something interesting in the kind of the approach, because ultimately, if people aren't commodities, if it's not, we've got a role, we need you to fit it, are you in or out, two interviews, and that's it that you just lose that sort of high-end talent who actually, it's a longer-term conversation. There are some people who are just amazing and the timing's just not right for them. They're in the middle of something big. They're in the middle of doing something great. And they like the idea of autonomy and working in a small, highly skilled team, doing something with massive impact for one of the big banks or insurers or whatever in the world. But the time's not right. And traditionally, you'd say, well, okay, thanks, you know, move on to the next candidate. And yet we keep those conversations going and keep people up to date with where things are. Because I think ultimately it's a business where we have that sort of client funnel of work going. But we have this talent funnel as well, where actually people who really do want to want to change the world and make a dent and also, you know, go up in their career, you know, we can find them at the right time. Do you know, what? I think that's that's one of the things that surprised me most over, you know, definitely over this year as things have really taken off. You know, we've had uh, people who have exited massive companies come to us and go like, I don't need to do anything. But like if if you guys have got something that I can get involved in, then let me know when. And that's just I think that's such a great kind of shot in the arm, really, for I guess the, the culture that you know, we're trying to build, but also the the reputation that's kind of carrying to, you know, far flung places, which is which is nice. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. That that was all spot on. Like you said, Simon, you you were asking, what do we really look for in a candidate? It's just really people who are very experienced, have done this before, and finally decided today is the day I want to walk out of this current company that I'm in because I want to ha- get my hands dirty again. Mm. I want to get your hands dirty, and that's a word we use quite often: is can you roll up your sleeves? Can you get involved? Uh, I, I took a photo um, lovingly and jokingly about uh, two months ago of David building a shelf, but the CEO of a company <laughs> was here at about eight p.m. at night. And and some shelves arrived and he got so excited that he started building them himself and that, that goes throughout the company no matter where you are if there's something that needs doing the media team need help with stuff for after dark or the research team are looking for some information about something that's gone up with a new product and the consulting team just so there is this kind of like get involved throughout the company and depth thing that's that's kind of really key but what are the tenants of, that you'd describe as the culture that we're trying to build you talk a lot about lifestyle for instance Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. I think this is one of the things. It's my it's my mantra. It's it's also in the nature of my scope and what I do. If I was going to I remember the first conversation I had with David was he basically said to me, Oh, we want to go through um hyper growth and I go, Well, every other startup says that. What do you actually really want to achieve? And then it took us um it took us a while to actually nail down to the fact that we've got a really solid culture right now that we actually don't realize how good it is for us as we go through hyper growth. It is one of those um it's a very honest culture, I would say. It's that kind of environment where the yes, it, you go into a startup, you you want your leadership to do everything right and you want them to nail it to the right points. You want your um, organizational chart to be nailed down because everyone needs that direction. But really, because you're, you're bringing in all these stars and people have done it before with experience and ultimately they all share the same passion. So what I do is, if I look at all our um, contractors, interns, permanent employees, freelancers, anyone else around the table as well, I put them into one bucket. It's just that sheer passion. Mm-hmm. I think there's something about also springboarding off of that 
uh, experience in startups, experience in an execution team that you've had to, you've got a runway, you've only got a certain amount of money left, you actually have to deliver this thing super fast, you have to lose the romance because you actually have to deliver something before you run out of money. And for me, that I think that's helped us with the growth because there's been a shared value set around that. Not the bad startups, not the, you know, massive beards, let's pay table tennis all day and we'll play at being startups, but the proper ones. And I think when you when you find people who've spent a good deal of time in one of the like the hardcore true startups, then when they come in, they've already got a lot of the kind of shared values that and you don't really have to then start working on it. But I think that that creates difficulties in hey, I'm a senior director of a large multinational bank. I'd love to come and join you. And, and to be honest, that's a bit like, well, okay. Uh, Great. What do you do? Yeah. What's the-, the last time you built a yeah. shelf in the office? So. <laughs> it's, a, it's a strange job sort of thing, isn't it? But we've had many shelves put together, thankfully. But uh, I just loved it because of the sheepish look on your face when I took the photo. Like, what's Simon doing? Oh. <laughs> that was fine. I don't mind. Any, any fame. I, I think the, the thing on that, though, to a certain degree, is like we, you know, we've had lots of conversations in terms and Sophie, you know, spot on. It's, it's how do we scale out the thing that we've done successfully so far? Like if we're going to be aiming at putting, you know, another two, three, th- four thousand people into this company and scaling out globally, then how do we do that without breaking the thing that we've done so far? And that's going to be really, really crit- critical because something that works when it's four people doesn't when it's 400 people. Like, in so, other countries, in other yeah. parts of the world. And a lot of it is about, you know, finding, as, as you put it, those stars, but those people that have come with the track record, but that can bring, as you said, the the people that we may have known for a while or people that may not be able to join us yet or that they know. So there's um, there's a few people around the room whose eyes I meet just as, as soon as I look and I think, well, actually, they know people and they've worked with people in the past. So a lot of that network has been really, really key. But actually, it's about finding that quality person that, that can then anchor it or people that you can anchor a project. But, it, but it's not just about new people, though. I think it's almost like you know, we talk a lot, we've talked before about codifying purpose, you know, and actually that's the thing, you know, I think if you, you know, we, we work really hard to, there are no managers, like we don't have a management, like, not like this is some sort of laid back hippie culture <laughs> where I'm like, yeah, just do whatever you want guys and like work it out at the end of the year type vibe as Ollie's nodding along to on that one. Um, but, but the, you know, the idea is alignment on purpose means that actually decision making is, is, you know, reasonably vis- invisible. That's, that's the key. I mean, we, we've talked talked about we can't do massive growth if we're building a pyramid because there's so much so many layers you have to add and if we need managers of the managers and managers of the managers then all of a sudden we we're constraining what we can do with teams at the edge so what do you need in order to for us to add another 10 teams this year or 100 teams this year and we we can't have to build a pyramid ultimately everyone has to align on what it is we're trying to do you know improve the world do great things for our clients be a great place to work and at the same time have like rules of engagement so you know actually if none of the founders or people who have worked in the company a long time are there what's the decision I need to make now and what are the principles that they would use in order to make that happen and then what are the basic systems for to make sure that we're billing and that we don't have problems with people burning out and contention and can can move people around so for me that that's purpose the the rules of engagement and the supporting systems I mean you can get rid of that like frozen and middle as they call it in the in the large corporate and shout out to toby who's not on the show with us i know who does a lot of work with sophie in terms of putting those systems in place that give you those guardrails that allow you to actually execute and come in and here's the tool set like here are the tools in your toolbox to enable you to do the job and i think look to to 
peel back the curtain a little bit sometimes you get surprised sometimes you walk into the office and it's like who's that <laughs> that, that isn't regular experience as a co-founder but i love it because i'll find out and there's an openness and i i can just ask and i can figure these things out and that cross communication is really key there's one thing that really stood out, stood out for me in the past couple of weeks as well so yes we have a consulting business we have a media business and we have a research business but we have one team and I think it's been amazing to see you know, the, con- the consulting team supporting the other parts of the business, the research guys being super, super helpful to help us win and you know, successfully run consulting engagements and the same for the media guys. And it's just been amazing to see how everyone is not just working their ass off, but also having a bit of fun while doing it, but really, really helping each other to help yeah, 11FS as a whole become successful. Uh, and let's let's um, talk about, you know, there is a hard work culture. There is, as you say, working our ass off. Jason talked about hardcore startup life. But we also have to bear in mind that we've got a diversity challenge. Like the, the top of the company has been male heavy, let's call it. Mm. And, and we do need to build that lifestyle that attracts more people to it. So what can we do more about that? Well, see, this is the thing, right? I struggle with when people talk about diversity. I don't think the buck actually stops at gender. So sorry, Simon, I would oppose to that. Thank you for disagreeing with me. I appreciate that. (laughs) The way I see it is if you look around the table right now, the one thing that actually helped us shape the company and where we are today is the diversity of the mind. Basically, it's that good workout in your brain. So when you look at our recruitment process, it is a no bullshit non-biased sort of process because it all comes down to your skills and experience. You can wear whatever hat you want. You come in as long as you are the person that we can count on, you're reliable and we are confident that you can deliver that piece of work plus that role, then you're in. So if if I were to talk about diversity, it's not something that we want to, you know, purposely put in something or a process or a program just to amplify or let the whole world know that we've got a problem. Therefore, we need to fix it. We're not a PwC. We're not a huge consulting where there are 2,000 people and they need to do that. Basically, what we really need to do is just like going back to that because we've got an honest culture. And as long as we stay honest, we're always going to be able to adapt. Your culture will shift as you grow. That's what hypergrowth does to a company. But as you shift the paradigm, it is always going to adapt to the people that we let in. And that's the crucial piece. So speaking about letting people in, where can people find out more about vacancies? Oh, so two things. You can go onto our people page um, where you can actually take a look at the people that you want to come and join us so that hopefully we convert you. And then you can, once we've converted you, jump onto the careers page and then click on whichever that you think is suitable. To be honest, that does sound a bit like a religion or a cult. Uh, <laughs> it does sound like a cult, actually, doesn't it? Yeah. I remember saying at the first After Dark, this isn't a weird recruitment slash religion thing, but it started to feel more and more like it. Maybe it's just a movement. Yeah. Let's go with that. It's not, but definitely drink that red pill. Yeah. <laughs> drink a pill? That's interesting. Uh, all right, so uh, let's turn to Ollie and Laura. Let, let's turn to you guys, because uh, representing 11 Media, uh, who make all of this happen every week um they're saying that every media is now a media company what does that mean ollie and are we that every business is a media company you mean uh, what did i say every media, media is a media company all right <laughs> picking me <laughs> up on my words um so i think there is an element of every company should be a media company and i'm going to take one like facet of that media bit and i think it's storytelling and it's honest storytelling because i think a lot of marketing at the moment people aren't all that responsive to ads anymore like uh, we're getting ad blindness people really don't like broadcasting whereas i think a big element of being a young company is we have to tell our story which we've done through the podcast which we've done through you you guys are speaking gigs um we like live and breathe all of this stuff 
And I think a lot of companies that are successful at the moment, if you look at the younger fintechs, the ones that really pull ahead are the ones that can be transparent with their audience. And they they are doing the same thing as us. They've taken their community on a journey with them. And I, I think, so it's less every company should be a media company. I think it's every company should take on storytelling as a core piece of how they act as a business. And that's not just marketing, that's everything. Uh, and Laura, what did you mean by storytelling and how's that different? How would, what tenants would you put into storytelling? I think there's a, a, a while Ollie says that every company sort of should be a media company, I think that not many companies do what we do. Um, so obviously we, we don't take the traditional marketing route in terms of our storytelling. We do podcasts, we do speaking gigs, we get out there and actually talk to people rather than talk to them through the medium of a white paper, a blog post, a tweet. Obviously we do that as well. Um, but we get out there and we actually tell the story. We interview people, we hear from the real people. We're not just sort of spouting sound bites. I think we're sort of um, sort of saying the real story, the real facts behind things. And I think that makes a real difference and why people listen to us because we, we sort of say it how it is. Because there's also a thing around corporate language and the big consultancies using very long terms and business speak. I remember joining the big consultancy a long time ago. And it's like, you don't, you shouldn't write like you talk. You know, are you 12? And yet now we're we've, we're almost coming back to that actually authenticity, swearing, you know, d- being passionate about what you're talking it's about. It's sort of putting a human face on on sort of traditional financial services communications. And, and, you know, people are attracted by the fact that we're real people on the other side. And you can imagine, you know, a blog post reading as one of us would say it kind of thing, as opposed to just being a blank white paper. And, and we've, we've had that feedback a lot. Like, I think that's kind of a, like with the podcast or with writing, like we're just the same people we are now when we're talking to a board or we're talking to kind of a junior consultant who's asking for advice, you you know, like, and I think that's so refreshing, if I'm honest with you. And I, and I think it's refreshing for us as much as it is for people sort of consuming that stuff. Because a lot of us, you know, you're, you know, everybody's sort of experiences working at different companies. It's really friggin' tiring pretending to be like something else and speaking in the third person and kind of doing all of that stuff. Like, so actually the sort of ability just to be yourself frees up so much more opportunity to actually get shit done. Absolutely. I, I think we surprise people. I think, you know, whether it's talking to people in banks or whether it's, you know, at a, at a conference or a trade show and you talk to people and yes, that is because we strip it back and we sort of get rid of that bullshit. But actually, it's also that sort of passion really shines through. And that surprises people who are used to talking to the bigger consultancies where it's just a little bit dead behind the eyes. We care about fintech. Like we, we care. We yeah. love this stuff. I'm sorry. I'm a nerd for it. I love it. I actually remember going out for a drink with someone who I'd interviewed for one of the big consultancies when I when I worked there. And this was at the time when I was working there as well. And she said to me, it's really odd, like, you're the same outside of work as you are in, in work. And that would seem like a really odd comment to me. It's like, are people not the same in work as they are out of work? But it really started making me think about that professional persona. It just reminded me of something when the first time I met David uh, in person, I think, or the second time, about 11FS. So I think I'd met you a couple of times at an FS club. And you said two things. One was like, I kind of always wanted to do new media stuff and I want to be authentic and I want to talk about that. I was like, that sounds interesting. And the second thing is, kind of want to build it like the Avengers model, you know, like where it, people can people can be themselves a little bit on their own, but you bring them together and they have that character going forward. Like they retain that character. It's not um, they're the brand now it's not company thinks it's 
David thinks, it's Sophie thinks, it's Laura thinks, and that's that's the critical. Well, which takes us back to that diversity thing, because I was thinking the other day we we're in a meeting, and I, I I don't remember who I was arguing or debating it. I think it was David. We were t- discussing some point, but there was something great about the fact we could disagree pretty significantly, but we all know we're heading in the right direction. Yeah. No one particularly takes it personally, and you know you move forward and actually probably come up with a better answer. And even with clients, I think sometimes like we'll be in a client meeting and you know one of you will say we'll say one thing and i'll say something else it's like whoa this isn't you don't you guys don't have like the company line it's like well no we're we're all in for creating this great outcome absolutely and and speaking of creating great outcomes like this time last year we had a michael um but we didn't have a media team as such and michael's still like the the beating heart of the thing without question shout out to michael bailey you absolute superstar um but look what have we been up to in the past year? I mean, the team's grown a bit, Ollie. Uh, it has. I think we're nine or ten now, which is a little bit scary. Um, I remember this time last year, um, I was sort of having a trial by fire, and on my first day, I had to publish a podcast. And I also knew nothing about fintech. So that was a bit of an interesting like tumble into the company. Um, I mean, strictly speaking, this time last year... You'd only just been hired and you're on your notice period and I hadn't quite been hired yet. So like there was no media team this time last year. You you guys turned up for the first birthday party, didn't you? Which was quite fun. Like Bavarian Beer House, you guys trying to be on your best behavior, joined us late. <laughs> We'd started. Uh, I mean you say late, we came straight from work. You guys started at two. <laughs> you said on Slack earlier on, at, like I got excited by like one PM. We were we were there very early, I'm not gonna lie. But yeah, so like since in the last year we've built up team we've got an amazing like wizard of an animator that um simone who's on our team that i never thought i would have an animator on a podcasting team it makes no sense but we've also built out content producers designers uh, more more editors and we've moved into video we've expanded out three more shows the blockchain insider and sure tech insider and connection interrupted so and events and events it's getting to it and uh, so like what we've been able to do is transfer all of this stuff into a real good sort of like physical relationship with the people that both listen and watch all of our stuff. And we've created FinTech Insider Live and After Dark where we get to see our listeners' faces and we get to shake hands and like we found clients there. We've recruited people from After Dark. We've used used the podcast as sort of like our bridge out into the world, as it were. Um, and I, I think that's the sort of the big thing behind the media team that we while Jeff's off um, running all the consulting gigs and both the Rosses have their like heads underground like working on research products and getting Pulse out the door we do come up for luck every so often we, we can talk to our audience and keep that sustained pressure um, on and like constantly open those doors and even when Jason really doesn't want to do after dark we can drag him out for one night and uh, put some Barry White on yeah. <laughs> that's uh, yeah that was an interesting one wasn't it it's, it's going to live on just the the, the image of, of, of Jason shoulder dancing up to the, the table. I'm sad I wasn't there for that one. Do you want to talk a little bit about your background, Ollie? Because, um, you know, from I think we got about seven minutes into your interview before I was like, yep, this is fine. We're good here. Let's let me, you're the guy. Sure. So, um, like, I come from an entertainment background, like, um, for a long time, I made videos for YouTube, like, big ones that got millions of views and, like, I, the, the most I knew about fintech was Monzo, basically, and not 
anything to and do with it. And what a good introduction that yeah. is. <laughs> but all I knew was it, it was an orange card. Like, not coral. I didn't know it was coral yet. It was an orange card to me. There was a lot of like, d- deep intakes of breath and people ready to jump in. It's not orange. <laughs> because of coming from that, the, the approach of trying to get something done quickly, reaching as many people as possible. Um, I, I came from trying to sell scripts for a screenwriter. And 11FS's attitude towards sort of, like, let's call it raging against the machine really appealed to me. And I, I have a bone to pick with a lot of big consultancies and big banks and sort of their approach. And um, this is my little way of doing it. A, a little bit of rebellion. Yeah. So you mean that um, advertisements in the airport and white papers and booths aren't the future for us? Turns out, no, not we really. No, we, we are definitely <laughs> going to have Norwich Airport decked out with 11FS stuff at one point, just for me. All right. I'm just saying, like, maybe like birthday three. But I guess there, there is a point there about we just don't have we're not big enough to spend millions on a full page ad in the ft or hire out an airport and there's what places can we make an impact and actually break through the noise and also what can we do that competitors would find it very difficult to do because i struggle to think how one of the big four consultancies could drink beer swear you know in a big bank boardroom in canary wharf and get away with it and you know not be escorted from the building and have credibility doing it and deliver real value at the same time and not be doing it just for effect and i think that's the thing we it risks being seen as a gimmick when actually it's it's authentic like it, yeah. it's just us being real but also here's all of this content density here's all of this content knowledge here's all of this insight here's all these people that have done it before or who are doing it and like let's peel back the curtain and show you because that's that's the way you start to believe it i think that's that's pretty key so this isn't just theoretical stuff we haven't just read a bunch of articles and a bunch of books and claimed to be an innovation expert this team has done this stuff before it's um it's fascinating isn't it to have seen that reaction you know i, I love the you know we've talked a lot about the you know using btc methods to activate from a b2b perspective you know like that is that's not something that anybody else i don't think has done as effectively in terms yeah, of the way that we were going after it there are other podcasts out there and they tend to you know and big companies have podcasts but the brands that tend to have podcasts aren't the big companies and and that sort of a different type of consulting company a different type of voice i think there was a gap in the market for it but we we do more than just the podcast solely i mean we do work directly for clients as well yeah so this is something that sort of emerged in the last few months that um because uh, I have a world-class production team that works with me. Our content stands out a lot. And it's not just the standard sort of Sky News interview at a conference. It, it's not that, let's call it stiff content. And the stuff that we've produced has turned some heads. And now people have started to approach us to make videos, to help them out with podcasts, to inject some of our lifeblood into them, to sort of help them step away from the noise. And I think that's the key thing here and why we have clients come there's so much noise in this industry there's so many people shouting and what we can provide is a new stream for them and take take them well away from the noise and really give them some focus and that's what i can do with my team because i have world-class content people i have world-class production people that are here really pushing for something much much bigger than we're sort of we've ever achieved before and you've got access to relevant content knowledge right at your fingertips as well and i think even more surprising you're not a cost center you actually generate money for the company i mean it's one thing to say great we're doing all of this media but because we've just we focus on content and then get an audience and then people want to be associated with that we have podcast sponsors we have people who come in who sponsor events and a variety of things that for me is amazing like that we can that you can be building a media team and a marketing team uh, that actually makes money for the company 
Sure. I, I mean, I think this speaks to something that David said before. Like, no, no one in this company is a cost center. Like, ev- and to speak to Sophie's point as well, like, everyone here is an expert in what they do. They're really passionate about it, and they have the drive to almost create a little mini company around themselves. Um, and obviously, that sort of happened with the media team. We are an entity that um, can drive everything forward. But to play to Jeff's point, we're part of the team and we're here to support the consulting team and the research team and i i enjoy that we can stand on our own two feet and sort of like stand right next to consulting and be like yeah we're a big player in this too and also that we are aligned to everything that 11fs do it's not sort of like a marketing team sort of whittling away in the background and going like oh like how, how can we spin this so it's better no we're just part of it and um that's really special to me we're in it day to day so what's next for 11 media what's coming up uh, more video, um, so starting with home screen, which you can go and see on the 11FS YouTube channel. Amazing. Um, <laughs> so, um, but from there, we'll be filling out our uh, programming slots over YouTube. Um, we've got some new formats coming down the pipeline for FinTech Insider, and obviously keep coming to our After Dark events. They're going to get bigger and better, and um, if you're in San Francisco, please come. Um, I'm looking forward to stepping also back to Also come California. to London. <laughs> London Laura, I love that you threw that in there. Already. Uh, I love the fact you think that Ollie would gain people who might have come to your thing. It's like, oh, well. <laughs> Bizarrely, there's been a few. There has been. There's been, there's been um, so, there's a few Londoners who uh, happen to be over in the US. That I think the longest commute was it uh, somebody's traveling from Canada to go to San Francisco to yeah, just watch I, that I show. I believe that's Bob. Shout out, Bob. <laughs> Which is kind of cool. Uh, To close out, I want to get a highlight out of everyone. What's been the best thing about the last year? How long you've been with us? Um, Best thing about this year for you? So I'm going to start with Ross M. Boss Ross, as we affectionately call him. So many things. It's really hard to identify one thing. Like, really? Um, If I was to try and name one thing, just to kind of come back to the people, I think, you know, just the sheer talent of the the team that we've we've grown out you know i guess we we always knew the people we were going to hire were going to be good but they always proved to be just great and you see it in the in the results so it's people just constantly exceeding my expectations i think is my highlight all right uh, Roscoe. yeah i mean i'm largely going to echo um ross m's point i think um obviously in the fact that yes there's been so many highlights that it's um hard to pick one and i've only been here for half the time um i think for me it's probably been getting out to conferences it goes back to what i said earlier and talking to people um and just the the awesome response that we get and i just love talking to people about fintech it's great you really do it captures people's imaginations <laughs> awesome Alrighty, uh, how about you jason i think it's it was the first deal, the first really big deal we won when we were against the big boys in the industry, the global players. We had no, you know, no real way of, of competing with them on size and revenues and everything else. But to have some super senior, like C-level execs of some of the biggest banks turn around and say, we're, gonna, we're choosing you. You know, you're going to work with us to build a new bank, to build a new proposition. Uh, and to, to win that first deal, it was like, this is going to work. Like, you know, this is this is it. Um, I think those moments are special. They are special moments indeed. How about you, Jeff? It sounds a bit cheesy, but I've, I've, I don't think I've ever had so much fun doing what I'm doing. And uh, to, to build on... To build on oh, oh, oh. 
I think to build on to build on what Ross said earlier, the the, the talent is amazing. I've only been here for a couple of weeks, but even since I joined, so much amazing talent and a bunch of superstars have joined the organization. We have a whole bunch of other people joining the consulting team in the next couple of weeks. And I think, you know, looking at all the stuff that we're working on, I think we're well on the way towards world domination. Fun time, isn't it? Uh, Sophie, speaking of bringing people in, what about yourself? My my highlight, if I'm being very, very honest, hyper growth is my jam. That's the kind of thing I love doing it. But but more importantly, the biggest highlight is having to do that here because I've got all the support in the world and actually start off right, which is so important for a company. Here, here. Thank you so much. Um, Laura? Uh, well, it's hard to pick one, really. Like, as Ollie said, like, the, the role that we were kind of joined to do has, like, massively snowboarded. There's so many high points. I think... Um, as a content writer, watching something like After Dark that you write and it happens every week and you don't see the people that listen to it, to actually see them there in front of you enjoying the show is is amazing. Um, and another personal highlight would be uh, making my Fintech Insider debut on International Women's Day uh, and the kind of all women's show that we did that had a really amazing response. Huge highlights. Holly? I think my highlight is like our audience and everyone that we work with. Um, I think we've built a really, really good community around the podcast around like, and, and it's, it's not just the media team. It's also around the consulting work. It's also around the research work, like to build off Laura's point with After Dark. We, we have a huge smattering of people that come from all different walks of life and they're super active on social. Like they always want to come and meet the whole team, not just sort of the guys on the podcast. So um, yeah, I like to do what we usually do on a Friday, highlights, lowlights and shout outs. My shout out is to the people that listen to the show and work with us. Brilliant. Shout out to all the people that listen and work with us. David, how about yourself? Um, I, again, I think there's just too many to, to sort of pick out just one, really. Uh, so I'm going to do three. No, not really. Um, I, I guess there's there's a, there's a few, though, to be honest. I think, the uh, as Jason said, the, that first massive win, you know, so it took um, something that was an amazing project to be able to do and have brought that from two massive companies. Like, super, super proud of that moment. And I think, like, my hand still stings slightly from the high five, which is, uh, which is kind of good. Um, I think the other one was, like, the first after dark like i have said to i think i've said to all you guys a bunch of times before like i never had birthday parties when i was little like this is like where you play the like the little violin michael right um but it was kind of like i was all scared of throwing parties when nobody turned up do you know what i mean like it's just just a fear of doing it if nobody turned up what would happen type thing and then when ollie and the it happens the media that we do guys, this in london and not in norway <laughs> exactly when ollie and the media guys put that party on and all of those people sort of turned up to to see us record something that we would just do for fun anyway that's huge um, and I think probably like really bizarrely, the moment that I knew we were like really onto something was when I saw randomly saw some dude wearing a, a FinTech Insider t-shirt on the tube who I had no idea who that guy was. Like just the quantity of, of love that we've had for the podcast and all the media that we've done has just been outstanding. So um, yeah, they're three, but man, there's a lot more. Well, there's so many more. Just for myself, it's working, as Jason said, and it's fun, but it's hard work. Like, But I really enjoy it. I think Ross G touched on it, but it's, yeah. I really love this stuff. I love fintech. I love 
But I also love executing. I love end product. I love seeing it in market. That's what really gets me out of bed. And I think we're surrounded by people who deliver end product, whether it's a podcast, whether it's a blog post, whether it's uh, jobs to be done, whether it's uh, working bits of code, whatever it is, people ship. And being around that is really, really addictive and, and fun to be around. So thanks to all of you. I could shout you all out individually, but would that be a whole nother show? It'd just be Simon thanking people individually. get like some weird award shows. So I'm not going to do it. Um, but I get emotional like that and I care about you all deeply. All right, that wraps up a very, very special FinTech Insider show. Um, we hope you've enjoyed our birthday party and our trip down memory lane. As always, if you want to get in touch, uh, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube. Just search for FinTech Insider. Search for 11FS. We're kind of omnipresent. It's a bit weird. Um, but if you like what you heard, subscribe to all the things. Subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe to YouTube. Um, leave us reviews. Leave comments as well. That, that helps us out massively. Um, and do stay tuned for our transatlantic after darks. And um, last but not least, let's get the Twitter handles from everyone. Let's do this. Uh, David, your Twitter handle, sir? At David Breer. Uh, Ollie? Ollie Judge. Ollie spell O double L I E because that's the only way you spell Ollie. <laughs> <laughs> Laura? Uh, Loella172. Sophie? At Sophie Teen. Roscoe Ross. underscore Methwin. Yeah. Ross Gallagher07. Jason? Jason Bates. Yeah. Jeff Tyson and at SY Taylor or at 11FS team. Thanks very much for listening. Uh, that's all for now. Stay tuned for our transatlantic after darks coming at you very, very soon. But for now, goodbye. Goodbye.